United States Institute of Peace, along with Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124, now present their weekly podcast. In Afghanistan, they are preparing for their parliamentary elections. Originally, they were scheduled to take place in October of 2016, then moved to July of 2018, but they're scheduled to happen now on the 20th. Just back from Afghanistan is Scott Worden. He's director of Afghanistan and Central Asia programs at the United States Institute of Peace, tweeting at USIP and joining us this morning. Scott, thanks for being here. Good morning. Thanks for having me. These elections have been postponed. Now, are, are we pretty sure or are you, are you pretty sure they're going to happen? I am pretty sure they're going to happen. Uh, I was in Kabul. There are campaign posters all over the city. Um, people are uh, cautiously optimistic that this will be an opportunity for change, and they think they're ready to go. So I think they will happen. Elect, uh, explain the process, because this is not the presidential election. This is a parliamentary election, but in some ways the two are interrelated, although they are about six months apart. That's correct. So... Afghanistan run by, uh, like our system, a president as one head of one branch of government, parliament, uh, co-equal branch of government. So parliamentary election matters significantly for governing, passing laws and so forth. Uh, There are 34 provinces in Afghanistan. Each one has a separate parliamentary delegation. And there are 2,500 candidates running for 250 seats. Uh, So it's an intensely competitive process. And what we'll see from the parliamentary election is a few things. One, how good is the security around the country? Uh, the presidential election, as you mentioned, is six months later, so security is not going to change that much between the two. And one big benchmark is how many people can get out to vote, how many polling stations are closed because of uh, violence. Um, the other thing that you'll see is a bit of uh, an indicator of demographic and political shifts in the country. Um, more of the candidates for this election are young. They tend to be better educated. So it'll be an interesting uh, benchmark to see whether the old warlords, the older, less educated candidates still hold on to seats or whether a more youthful uh, parliament gets elected. And maybe that would be a, a sign for voters' demand for change. Interesting that you note that security is important. Uh, participation, how many people are actually going to get there? And I guess fraud is a part of it. So if participation, security, and actual or perceived fraud are big factors, why is it different there from, say, in the U.S., where also how many people show up, uh, whether or not their votes are secure, and whether or not there's fraud? I mean, it, it, it's obviously, a, I guess, a member or a, a, a difference of gradation. But I wonder how serious is, are all of these issues in Afghanistan? I think all those issues are just amplified from what we experience in our own elections. Uh, participation there is not so much a function of voter enthusiasm. That's certainly part of it and, and candidate popularity, but, uh, but it's really a reflection of how much control of the country do the Taliban have. Um, there are probably at least two dozen districts where there will be not really effective voting because of Taliban control. The Taliban have opposed the election process. They said that they will disrupt it, although they don't want to kill a lot of civilians. Thank you very much. Um, you know, they are really an obstacle to this process. And so that's an amplified circumstance from a normal election. Um, the fraud issue has plagued Afghan elections for the last three election cycles. 
Um, up to, let's say, a quarter of the votes in 2009 were thrown out because of fraud. About 11 percent of the votes in the last part in the last presidential election were thrown out because of fraud. And with so many candidates running for a few seats, the margin of victory will be very small. So a little fraud can go a long way to changing the results. And that, if it's not managed carefully, will result in protests. It'll result in boycotts of the of the election result process. And that can delegitimize the election commission uh, if they don't handle it right in front of the presidential election when their credibility really matters. And as you say, big props tongue in cheek for the Taliban for saying they don't want to kill a lot of people. Uh, during these elections. I wonder, uh, again, Scott Worden with us, director of the Afghanistan and Central Asia programs at the United States Institute of Peace. The U.S. still has a military presence there. Do they try to make themselves as unobtrusive as possible when elections are taking place? Are they asked to participate in security? What is their role in this, if any? The U.S. military is very much behind the scenes in this. They will not be visible or present at any of the polling stations. Partly that's because we have we have a significantly reduced presence from uh, 2014. So there aren't the numbers of troops, even if we wanted to, to really get out and secure polling stations. But really, this needs to be an Afghan process. And so the U.S. military is, one, supporting the Election Commission on logistics and helping them to distribute the ballots and the other materials they need to get all over the country. And then secondly, they're focusing on countering the Taliban's pledge to disrupt these elections uh, by going after checkpoints that they might have at on key roads that would prevent people from going to polling stations, uh, trying to prevent attacks uh, before they happen. So they have an aggressive tempo right now to try to uh, go after tal- clusters of Taliban troops, supply uh, areas, and so forth, so that the Taliban cannot execute their plan to disrupt the election. I'm just curious about Scott. We, we've talked about the elections and the and the voting and so on. What's a campaign like in 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 Afghanistan right now? I mean, we think of American campaigns with posters and TV ads and so on. What's it like? I mean, how do how do people get their votes? How do they go out and solicit voters? Well, it really depends on where you are, and that depends on the security situation. So in Kabul, where I was, seems like a I don't know a high school election where you've got posters everywhere. Um, you've got candidates going around in cars with loudspeakers saying, uh, vote for me for these reasons. Uh, behind the scenes, you've got a mobilization of people's different networks, whether it's uh, in a particular neighborhood. Ethnicity is a big factor in the elections in terms of who supports who. So you'll get endorsements from elders in a particular uh, region or tribe or, or ethnic group. In the rural areas, it's much more constrained because of these Taliban threats. And so there the campaigns are happening, um, you know, quietly indoors at tea houses. Um, Women have a particular constraint in campaigning, not just because of Taliban threats, but cultural norms say, well, you shouldn't be out there with your face in public. And so one innovation that women have used is to hand out business cards with their uh, name and their platform in a few bullet points. So it can be circulated quietly among women without uh, raising, arousing the ire of either conservative Afghans or the Taliban. Wow. It's a world we don't see here, but I appreciate your taking us to it. Uh, Scott Warden, thanks for joining us on POTUS this morning. Thanks for having me. Scott Warden, just back from Kabul. He is director of Afghanistan Central Asia programs at the United States Institute of Peace, talking about the elections coming up this weekend, tweeting at USIP.
This podcast has been brought to you by the United States Institute of Peace and Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124.